I'm Mel Stewart, and this is Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today, we got a special guest. We have an Australian swim star, a backstroke and medley specialist, a FINA world champion, a three-time Olympian, and also a personal friend, uh, someone that, that I work with in terms of business. She's the director of sales and marketing for Team Topia. Today, we have Ellie Overton. How are you doing? Hey, Mel. Good to see you. We have to give people some context. And, and, and let them know just the, the connection and how deep it goes. It goes all the way to our neighborhood. We're, we're neighbors. We, we, we go to the same yeah, shop. That's right. To see. It's, swimming is a small world. You know, there's other Olympians in our neighborhood. Yeah, I know. Austin is kind of big on the swimming Olympians too, actually. There, there, was, a, there was a point where I could throw a rock and I could, I could like throw it over six Olympians. Uh, <laughs> Donovan. Donovan Powell lives yeah. six houses down from me. Right. Um, he's in track His and field. His kids swam on my team. Yeah, cool. Jamaican, yeah, Jamaican uh, track and field guy. I think his brother ran in the most recent, one of the more recent Olympians, Olympics. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, small world full of Olympians down here in South Austin. Uh, you know, you graduated from Berkeley with high honors degree in business and you are doing, you know, your director of sales at Team Topia, Team Topia. And I, I could explain it, but I, I, I would say it is team management software, the leader in the summer league niche. Is that, is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yep, yep. We help those little summer league teams run more smoothly and save time and effort. And, and, and summer league for, for most, most people, most people know it, but not everyone knows it. Summer League is massive compared to year-round swimming. It is massive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they're saying sort of more like 25,000 teams rather than 3,000 teams in the year-round market. But we are going to broaden out, broaden into year-round, broaden into other sports. And so we've got big dreams at Team Topia. That's good stuff. There's more, to, more to come on Swim Swam about Team Topia. For um, sure. The, the reason why I, I asked you on is because, you know, there's um, – you know, you think about athletes and you take it for granted when you're talking to your brothers and sisters among the Olympic Games, our, our Olympic brothers and sisters, you, we all have a history. And it's like, as we get older, it's just a paragraph, you know, you, you read the, the short bio and that's it. But there's so much rich, rich history here. And there's a lot of emotions and there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's high points and low points. At this moment in time, we're, we rolled into this Olympics and a few things were, were different. They changed. Um, I, I think a good way to start is to say that, you know, Michael Phelps had a documentary on HBO, The Weight of Gold, and it basically boiled down to the mental health of athletes and this unspoken secret that's out there. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and then we saw it kind of play out uh, over the U.S. in the U.S. market, over U.S. trials with some, you know, with, with the year delay with some iconic athletes not making the team, barely missing the team. Uh, one in particular was one that I'm, I'm a huge Simone Manuel fan. And she, you know, she walked out of her race, her post-Olympic race interview, you know, seconds later, which they always have. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she basically said, you know, I don't, under, I don't understand why we're expected to answer seconds after our race, because sometimes we don't have answers. And clearly right. she was trying to unpack that she you know that that this wasn't this this event wasn't going the way everyone expected for her and there's there's um that was tough yeah. to watch that was tough to watch so 
in a recent coffee moment with you at our coffee shop, I was digging <laughs> into your past and I didn't remember this, but you said, you know, I'm going to send you a link to an interview I did in 96 uh, and after the Atlanta Olympics in your 200 IM. And you kind of explained it to me, but you don't understand it until you see this video. And we're going to include this video link in our show notes right now. If you're listening, press pause, pop over and listen to the interview, watch the race and listen to the interview. But you said back in 96, essentially what Simone said in 2021, in your words, can you, can you describe that moment? Cause I can, um, I've, I've got a lot of notes and I can, I can help unpack it from there. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I came out of, I went into that race, the 200 IM final, I was in lane five, 96 Olympics. Um, you know, I'm coming off a year where I was ranked number one. I was Pantac champion. I was world chocolate champion going into 96 Olympics. So there was a lot of expectations on me and there was a lot of expectations from myself on me. I was certainly expecting, you know, this was my year to get that podium finish, you know, and um, I swam my race and, you know, if you watch it, you'll see the piano drop, um, you know, with about 25 to go and, and I hopped out and we had been, Australian swimming had been given a really hard time in the Australian media for the entire five days leading up to that. We were not, you know, coming up to expectations and, and, um, it's hard to, it's really hard, I think, for Americans and for a lot of people around the world to understand what swimming in Australia is really like, because it is really the thing in that country, whereas, you know, it's a bit of an afterthought, except for every four years around the rest of the world, maybe. Um, in Australia, it's, it's a big thing, swimming. And so there's a lot of pressure on us and a lot of expectations. And so, yeah, it was just really hard to be sort of, uh, the commentator asked, you know, how what happened kind of thing. And it's sort of like, gosh, I wish I knew, you know, you think I wanted to come fifth. I didn't want to come fifth. <laughs> you know, it was not the plan. I trained for the Olympics. I, you know, put everything into this moment and I didn't pull it off and didn't pull it together. And it is really, really hard to try to explain that in that moment and to put on a face. And, you know, um, I think, I think during the, the 2020 games as well, um, like Caleb Dressel, like he had some real moments, like we saw how much emotion there is in those like after race moments. Um, it's just a really, really hard time to have a microphone put in your face, sort of no matter how you do really. Let me, let me confess a sin. Let me confess um, something to, to our audience. And then let's bring it back to this interview because I'm going to add some more details to this interview. But during the, the, our most recent Olympics, <clears throat> we were doing what Swim Swim does, which is breaking down the analytics, uh, calling who's going to win and who's not, what was successful, what was not. And that's standard fare. But in the back of my head, I felt uneasy about it because we're coming off of a pandemic. We're coming off, this is a historic moment. This hasn't happened in a century in human history. And you just said it, you know, uh, someone who's very successful, Caleb Dressel, five gold medals. Uh, you know, he is just, when, when they just crack the door on the topic, you know, he is, is holding back tears because it's been so stressful. Um, so it was very pronounced at this past Olympics. Just out of curiosity, were you, was this top of mind? Were you uncomfortable watching the Olympics because of this, thinking this? During this year, like when I watch it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, 
I really, I just, you know, feel for the athletes. I put myself in their shoes, you know, and, and it's, and I, you see some, some questions that, that commentators ask, right? Like just kind of the cluelessness, you know, <laughs> it's just hard, but it's very, but you know, it's, it's, it's different for us because we've lived it. We know what they're feeling and what they're thinking. A commentator's, you know, not, not been in that place. So they're not, you know, and they're trying to say something that's going to make sense to the audience back home. And, you know, it's just, it's a hard moment. It's hard to remember that these people are human and, and, you know, they're just regular people, you know, even though they're up there and at their the Olympics and they're getting medals, like they're still human. They have feelings, they have, you know, a lot going on. Before we come back to the interview in 96, because there's a whole lot there. Your interview. <clears throat> I will say this: we, we we've uh, we've had James Magnuson on the Swimsuit Pod four times, um, well, nearly four and a half hours of just talking to him. And at a certain point, he was talking about this moment where his life went from anonymity to extreme fame. Like he he had, I think it was maybe it was one of the relays, and he he was only nineteen, and and uh, they. Australian television broke into all primetime shows and ran the event and yep. he did really well and delivered gold Olympic you know, delivered a gold medal. And then he, he took up like a week vacation with his dad in Thailand and then showed up at, you know, back home in Australia and got off, walked off the plane and went, my life had changed forever. And he explained it in terms of, because we'd see him in Austin, he was at a music festival in Austin. He's like, I love coming to the United States because nobody knows me. And he's like, you know, it's, it's not that way I moved to So I, I, I made fun of him. I made fun of him. I made, I made the fatty mm -hmm. lip and said, oh, I'm so sorry, Maggie, that you're, you're famous and it's terrible mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. He laughed and he moved on and then he proceeded to explain. He goes, no, you don't understand. This is, uh, this is hard. It's a mm -hmm. really a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So the pressures are extraordinary. I keep hearing it over and over. We hear it, but it feels like it's theoretical for mm -hmm. our us-based fans right right for you heading into 96 there were some you know i, I can sum up the the articles that were written um but there was an enormous amount of fanfare there was supposed to be this you know this a huge number of, of talent coming in to deliver gold back to australia yeah and uh they were really beating the drum and uh, as they do, Mel, it, every it, time. But, it, but as, <laughs> but uh, there was, uh, there were some exceptions. There were some successes, but they yep. were, um, there were more failure. And uh, the Daily Telegraph, you know, they splashed in like in like twenty-four point font across the front page, our Olympic failure. And um, yep. so when you you reference in the interview that that news has been kind of negative. And you push yeah. back on the person interviewing you, who, by the way, is it's uh, Neil Brooks, Channel Seven, yep. which I know that you know, and uh, Olympian himself, you know, watching that. the video, reading like reading about all the history, and then like watching this video, I was physically uh, uncomfortable and angry at him watching mm -hmm. it. Yeah, uh, how you, you look? You looked angry. And, and, and look like you were teary at one point. So what, what, was, what was going through your uh, head when you decided to push back? Yeah, I nearly cried in that interview when I watch it. It's like there's that moment where I'm on the verge. Um, yeah, I had a lot pent up 
um, I was at the time, the two years before 96, I moved to Brisbane and I was training and we, our, my training group, we used to be affectionately termed the super team. I swam with Susie O'Neill, Samantha Riley, Angela Kennedy, who was a, the world short course champion in butterfly at the time. Um, there were six of us on the Olympic team from the one training group. And uh, so there was a lot of pressure on us and Susie and Sam, two of the biggest names in Australian swimming at the time, current world champions, world record holders. It was, it was a huge amount of pressure going into those Olympics. Um, and, and it was just, and so, you know, you try so hard and you know this smell, like it's so hard at the Olympics. You try to be so focused on what you have to do and you try to shut everything else out and you just try to keep in your own world and you're, you're just, you just want to be able to shut everything out, but it, it's just hard. You know, you're hearing stories, you've got people telling you stories, you see the odd paper, you see the odd headline, you know, whatever it is, you know, my friends are crying, you know, I'm like, you're very affected. It's really hard to stay in your own game. And so, um, you know, I just heard these stories and, and, and so I just, kind of felt like this was my moment and maybe my last moment to say something and to kind of stand up for my teammates and and myself and you know just sort of try to say look you know who are you all to try to dissect how we're doing you know these people that are at home saying they should could have should have would have you know should have done this and they weren't good and they're not strong enough and they're not mentally tough enough and all this kind of thing um you know and and, and Neil Brooks was saying to me well, we're just we're just trying to trying to work out what's wrong or trying to trying to solve what's happening and it's sort of like oh my gosh you know we're all individuals we all have different things going on we've had different injuries we've had different you know things that have happened you can't generalize and go oh all Australians just not mentally tough enough you know it just it's just really it was just so frustrating um and to you know so I just kind of it just I'm just this very honest person. I'm just going to tell you what's on my mind. And I just did to all of Australia in that moment. Because everyone's be. watching, you know, they're watching. <laughs> if, if you watch the interview, if, you, if you've paused and watched it or you watch it after this podcast, I think you're going to have the same reaction that I did, which is um, you're going to be, you're going to be angry. But the, uh, it, you, it, there was a moment I can see it on your face. You're thinking, I, you can tell you're making decisions. And that goes, you know, you just finish a race. You're, it's emotional. Uh, just pause with me here for a second. And this is what you said. Uh, really, when you when you when you push back, I can't explain the way I swam today. I can't explain what has gone wrong here. All I know is that I've done everything I can do the best I can. I've worked my ass off. Did you say arse or ass? <laughs> I think you said arse. arse. You said arse off. Yeah, arse at the time. Yeah. Uh, the training. I've done over the last 18 months has been the hardest I've ever done. I've trained like you would not believe I've given up everything. Um, you're, you, you get a little teary eyed mm -hmm. um, and he's pushing yep. back. You know, he's trying to say everyone loves you. And is that, you know, is that when he was saying that he was backpedaling? So he backpedals, he backpedals. He's like, we're just concerned about you. And I, I think he wasn't expecting you to push back. And he's like, we're disappointed too. It's only because we love you so much. And by that time, you're already revved up and going. And it's like, you have no right to be disappointed in us. You respond and you wipe back a tear. We've done all the hard work. So we are the ones who should be disappointed. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's um that said it. That said it for me. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's hard because you are representing your country. You are swimming for your country and you care and you want and like I said in my interview, it's like everyone at the Olympics has done everything they can, right? You've tried, you've tried to make decisions that most people don't have to think about on a daily basis, right? Like we've tried to, you know, go to bed on time, miss that party, you know, set the alarm early enough, um, you know, you know, work out until we vomited, um, you know, sweat until, you know, just things that most people don't do every day. And we did it every day and we did it for four years in the buildup, right? And you really have worked four years for this moment and it comes down to a moment, you know? And it's just, the pressure is, is unbelievable. And to, you, you've done everything you can. There's no one, no one, no one shows up and they're not there to like, no one's there to come third or come fifth or come, you know, no one's there to like not make the final, you know, we're all there trying to do all the things that the country and the team and everyone wants us to do. Um, and so to try to explain that to people, why, what didn't happen, it takes you years. Like I'm still, I'm still working it out. I'm still trying to work it out, right? Like what a part of it was my mental distraction? What part of it was my physical overtraining? What part of it, because I have all these reasons that I know contributed, it wasn't one thing. Um, but I tell you, I didn't know 20, 30 seconds after popping out of the pool. <laughs> so it's, it's just, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. Yeah. Um, so Michelle Smith, um, so yeah. for the record does your place go up <laughs> no no it doesn't nothing changes so yeah. michelle smith got busted for doping yeah and so, in ni my 94 world championship bronze um the chinese girl that won she got she got busted for doping two months later michelle smith got busted two years later but no nothing changes you stay the same place that you were uh i think places matter I think if somebody cheats, I think the record should be changed. How do you feel about that? Oh, well, you know, it's hard to say because like, especially for her, she didn't test positive until two years later. So people could say, was she on drugs at the time? I'll tell you, I did get pretty distracted like right before the race, Mel, because they were going, um, you know, we all get introduced and they give you a little blurb about some things about us. Um, and on the screen, facing the, the big timing board that was facing, you know, the direction I was standing, it was saying what position people had come at the last Olympics. And so Michelle was in lane one and, and it said that she'd come, I want to say 21st or 22nd at 1992 Olympics. Now she was standing next to like, then it was like Marianne Limpet who'd come sixth and me who'd come fifth and Lee Lynn who'd come second. And like all the rest of us four years before, We'd been right there. We would been in the same place we were in that day. And to see someone who was like in the 20s and she was 26 at the time, I believe. Like you don't go to the Olympics at 22 and be 22nd and then go to the Olympics at 26 and win four gold medals. Like that's just not really a thing. If you're gonna, so that was, that was a distraction. Like right before the Olymp right before my race, it had on the scoreboard what she'd come at, to at, at 1992 Olympics. And I was like, what 
because she'd already won, you know, two gold medals at that point in the Olympics. It, I, it I was distracting. Share, I can share an opinion and the opinion mm -hmm. because we, and we, you know, it, I can share an opinion, but it doesn't, it doesn't pass the smell test. And, <laughs> and when it doesn't pass the smell test and you're in the thick of it, you're in the hunt, you're in the, you're in the fight. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's corrosive. And what you're mm -hmm. describing is that corrosive aspect of cheating and the real, mm -hmm. the very real palpable impact it has in the moment, the Olympic final. That's mm -hmm. what that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, I think we talked a bit about this when we were having coffee too. I was talking about how much I kind of love that we have so much access to so much media now and like people doing these kind of interviews. And, and you, I hear a lot of, I've heard a lot of interviews with Olympic gold medalists since and things like that. And they the people who, who win, they can tune all this out. Um, they can, at least during that period that they need to, they can focus down and they can get it done. And I couldn't do that. And I, you know, and that's, that's, you know, that's what I have to live with. Right. That's who I was. That's who I am. That's okay. Um, but they can tune it out, but it is hard to tune it out. The reality is like, that's, that's why they went. I mean, that's, that's the next level um, of people that can, that can do that. But that's not a fair statement. I'm going to, I'm going to, because it, it, you know, we live in this world where you have to do it once every four years. And, and, mm -hmm. and if we're being honest, the Australian national team has fallen short of expectations in many past quads. Uh, they've done extraordinary all the well. way until this year until world this champs. year was the first time uh, world champs uh, pan pacific championships over and over and over and over just you do it there yeah i mean mm -hmm. you're talking about a nation that is smaller than orange county in terms of population so the united states it's like if we had a dual meet the united states would be competing <laughs> against orange county it's, it's it, it, yeah it's a bit like texas it's kind of like almost texas population it's uh, crazy. It's, so it, it's uh, it's not it's not a fair it's not fair. But the, the, my point is, is you know you're supposed to do this once every four years, or your career doesn't have as much meaning. But the truth is, you know what it you know what it means to win, mm -hmm. and you know what it means to stand on top of the podium. And you you've yeah. had the moment where it's like I am the best on earth right now, mm -hmm. and it's uh, but it wasn't at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard, the hard question that I get when people learn that I went to the Olympics. Often, I would say, bordering on about 50% of the time when people hear that I went to the Olympics, the next question is, did you get a medal? And for someone like me who got so many medals, <laughs> like got a medal at everything else, like world championships, world short course, pan packs, commonwealths, national, like, you know, it's like they ask, did you get a medal? And they really only mean the one. They mean the Olympic medal. And I have to say no. And, uh, and it's hard because it, I feel like it boils my whole nine-year career down to the thing I didn't do. Um, and so that, that is very painful, quite honestly. <laughs> and it's something I'm still working on. I'm getting much better, though. So we, we, yeah. so we not only live in the same neighborhood, have the same coffee shop. <laughs> so we also have a, a parallel here in, in 88, uh, I was ranked second in the world going in and I got fifth. Right. And the, um, but if I'd done my best time, I would have won silver. Yes. And, 
right? Exactly like you. If you had done your, mm-hmm. you say it in the interview 100%. in 96, yeah. if you had done your best time, you would have gotten silver, but it doesn't work yep. that. It doesn't always work out that way. It's one day in your career. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I think that I was clinically depressed for two years. Mm-hmm. I think it wow. took me two years before my brain was actually okay. Um, mm. I, I, I either worked, I had trained, trained really hard, but I don't know how good the training mm-hmm. was, or I was mm-hmm. partying and drinking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, which is a college, part of the drinking culture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, so I was either working hard. Good thing we were numb, before social media, Mel. Before social media. <laughs> no, one, no one caught it. <laughs> but that was my experience. Do you think that it was, do you think it impacted you in a similar way? Or, you know, what was your yeah. experience? Yeah, yeah, no, my experience after 96 was was pretty, pretty, pretty devastated. Um, I don't know that I would say I was clinically depressed, but I, I, it, it was a big struggle. Um, I pretty much didn't enjoy the whole rest of the Olympics. I pretty much huddled and didn't have any fun there, which is, was really tragic to me afterwards. I was like, I can't believe I missed all the fun because um, I was in my own world. And I came home, I was ready to quit swimming. I think the thing that we struggle with when this kind of stuff happens, when we don't achieve what we think we can achieve, what we the thing about a lot of people don't understand about being at our, our level is that we have to tell ourselves every day that we are the best and that we can be the best in the world. And you have to, you have to believe it. You can't just go there, you know, and think maybe you have to really believe it. And so every day we, you know, kind of talking yourself into this, right? All the time. You're telling yourself, you're great. You're good enough. No, you are good enough. Yes, you are good. You're as good as that person is. No, you're good enough. You can do this, you know? And you tell it to yourself every day for so long. And then the results show that, hey, you're full of it. You were wrong. You lied. You lied to yourself. And you are not that good. And and that's the really, that's a very painful thing um to because you're still in the mode and if you're going to keep swimming you have to get back on the horse and tell yourself again <laughs> that was one day I can no I am no I can't I can't yeah I can do this so I, I nearly quit swimming it's actually when I came to America so you know there's um I I did kind of run away from Australia when I came to America certainly when I stayed here after 2000 and decided to stay here um I you know I kind of didn't want to go put myself back into the fray in, in Australia where, you know, it's hard. It's, I mean, I'm sure if any American swimmers are watching these, they're just going to laugh to think that the chick that came fifth at the Olympics was like recognizable in stores and restaurants and like people knew who I was and, you know, and that's from coming fifth. That would not happen in America. Um, now I had all the other years where I did win the medals and stuff like that. Right. So that's how I was known. But um, I would have people ask me, uh what happened strangers people I'd never know people I don't know okay so my friends or something like that yeah I'm happy to have a deep and meaningful conversation with you about what I think might have happened and and let's unpack it and let's let's cry together and and laugh together and and whatever but stranger on the street asking me what happened I'm not explaining myself to you I who are you no I I don't want to talk to you thank you anyway for bringing up this very painful time in my life but yeah (laughs) no I don't want to do that so yeah it was it was hard to get over um after 96 but I just I came over here to America that's when I went to Cal 
put myself in a different environment. Um, loved that experience. Got so much out of that experience. Just amazing. And so that was my it's like my consolation prize. If I if I'd won, I ne- I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have the same kids I have today. I wouldn't, you know, I think about that a lot. Um, my whole life would have taken a different trajectory. I never would have moved to America. And, you know, so it, that moment shaped my whole life, quite honestly. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah. It, it, no, it, it does. It does. It does. You build to this moment. It's almost like this huge buildup of energy. And then the road forks off and there's, and you take certain paths. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, so uh, in, in the aftermath of the Olympics, and uh, so I, I, I didn't go to three Olympics, I went to two Olympics because I have, I'm, in, I'm also a member of the third place club. So 88 was fifth, uh, 92 oh. success, but in 96, I get third Olympic trials, which was kind of a relief because I did have 92. Yeah. But then you get into your 30s and I had I, I had a lot of negative memories about the Olympic Games. And uh, I went into therapy and did mm. therapeutic mm. practices and, and like targeted yeah. areas of my swimming career, specifically 88 yeah. and other moments. Because yeah. it, was, it was always in the back of my head and I felt like it was shaping how I lived in the world. I think a lot yeah. of people are experiencing that. And... Um, is, do, do yeah. you feel like this is something that's, that's with you, that at times it, like, it all comes back up? Yeah, it does. It's strange. Um, I, I didn't, I'm, I look back on my career and I really wish I had used sports psychology and psychology during my career. I think it could have been really hugely beneficial. Um, unfortunately, I came from a family where there was some stigma around that. Like, you're crazy if you go to therapy, you know? It's like, what? No, you're not. You're like, really healthy if you go to therapy, just in case anyone out there is wondering. But um, no, uh, so, you know, I didn't have that support then, but there was a time after my retirement, after Sydney Games, um, that when I went into retirement, I was sort of having to navigate world with the world without swimming, um, that I found like I was just like really angry all the time. It's just had a lot of anger. And I finally kind of went to therapy I finally you know I had a friend a girlfriend she was like you know what you need therapy and I was like okay and I didn't know that I didn't know what I was going to talk about I didn't come into therapy going oh yeah I've had these issues and you know these past things have happened to me I don't really think about my Olympics and my swimming as like this kind of trauma or tragedy or anything like that obviously right so when I went to therapy I didn't know what I was going to talk about and I talked about swimming and talked about swimming. And then some more, I talked about swimming. And I was like, wow, I had no idea that this was what was gonna, that this was what was going on for me, you know? So that's the, that's really interesting. You mortgaged your childhood to be an elite athlete. Yeah. You're gonna yeah. talk about swimming. Yeah, right. Yeah. If, 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 if I could, if I could, if I could do anything, if I, if I could do anything in your life, I would create a poster and I would be like, and the poster would say three-time Olympian, Fina world champion, uh, Pan Pac champion, and, you know, graduate of, of Cal Berkeley high honors. And I would just, just so you wake up and see that every day because that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's extraordinary. That's like top one-tenth of 1% in the world in terms of achievement. And, uh, 
I, I hope that you look at, at, at your at your life and think and, yeah. and live in that sort of confidence. But yeah, I don't know where where are you right now? Yeah, I, I feel good. I I think um, I my twentieth anniversary of retirement was a year ago, and I had some real really it really hit me. It was very intense. You know, we we're all going through COVID at the time. This was like October of last year. And so we all had a lot of time on our hands, you know, and I just got thinking about this date and it just hit me and it was just like, wow, 20 years, you know, and I tried to really, I thought about getting an Olympic tattoo finally. I thought about, um, you know, I just tried to like put it all in perspective and do better at putting it in perspective. And I had this moment, um, which was really kind of really difficult, which was um, in my office here, I have some of my Olympic um finalist certificates and stuff framed and I have my commonwealth record that the first one I set was in the heats in 1992 olympics and I went over to the record and I read it Mel it was my fastest olympic swim of three three olympics six olympic swims 200 ims my very fast first one best one I never got faster than that at the olympics that was kind of whoa that was one of those moments of like wow I really lied to myself <laughs> like it was like my god I must you know what was wrong with me that I could never lift higher than that again at the Olympics no matter how much I did so much training after that I did so much more specific training I did so much harder training I gave up so many things in my life after in the years after that and I never got faster than my first swim at the Olympics so you know but anywho um <laughs> where am I now uh, I feel like that was a really great experience to go through that, that 20th anniversary of retirement and just to put it, to try to put it all in better perspective. And I, I do try to, you know, do kind of what you said and think about like the positive things and the things that I have achieved that, you know, they're the ones that kind of count and it's it shaped me into the person who I am. And I don't have regrets with that. I'm not, I'm not into regrets. So I, I'm cool with that. Something that's something that's been like the most excuse me, not something, the most positive experience I've had in swim has been um, connection to alumni, connection to peers, mm. connection to the community, because um, the truth is nobody cares what you achieved. It's like, it's like if, you, if you've ascended to a certain stratosphere, it's like you're just a part of the swimming community. And mm -hmm. then you show up at events or business conferences or parties or whatever. And it's, um, you're just people and you have mm -hmm. this, this one common language called swimming. And well, that's gotten better and better over the years. That's, and, I, and I've really appreciated that. Well, and I think the thing that I came down to when I was thinking about all these things a year ago was that the friendships are by far the most important thing that I could take from my whole career. Like the friendships were just, so I just, you know, the people that I knew and how close we were and how when you see them after not seeing them for 10, 15 years, you can just fall straight back into feeling that camaraderie with them. Um, so I, I, that was something that I really took out of that time was like, gosh, you know, the friendships I had, the memories, the travel, the, the, you know, there was a lot of good stuff happened there and, and you know, so I feel lucky. And, and, and this is how you know it. You get older and people die, bad things happen. Oh. And you have conversations with people around you about some dramatic moment in your life. 
But if you're talking to somebody who maybe you haven't talked to in 10 years or 20 years, but you swam together when you were kids, that conversation is much deeper and much more raw. You're much more true in that moment. Right. And that's right. what, and that's what swimming is. It really is right. a family. So I'm yeah. hoping being a champion, being a world champion, hand pack gold <laughs> medalist. It's uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you're living in that space. Let's, let's go back to it, to, to your career as a whole. You know, there's one moment in, 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 in an athlete's in an elite athlete's career where it just felt perfect. Mm. The swim was right. And there was this sense of joy and mm. feel free. What was mm-hmm. that for you? Gosh, you know, I, I can really, it's really sad to say, but I can really only remember one. Um, it's funny because like when I won Pan Packs and when I won World Shore Course, they were kind of like the, they're like, well, I mean, I won Commonwealth Games too, but, and that's my story. But, um, but it was very much, I was very much like, I expected that of myself. I looked up at the board. I was happy with how I did, but I very much like thought, yep, that was my goal to win. I got the gold, good. Like I didn't go like, wow, that was amazing. I'm so excited. You know, I was very matter of fact about those wins. There was one swim and it was the 400 IM at Commonwealth Games in 1994 when I don't do really do the 400 IM and I don't like it. But um, I was having a ban a year in 1994 and I went to Commonwealth Games trials and I really had this goal that I wanted to like, make some relays and like, I just wanted to make all this stuff. And I made the team and in six different events. And so the 400 AM was up really early and it was on the same night as the four by 200 freestyle relay. And of course, this is an era of Haley Lewis, if you can remember her, which is a fantastic, amazing Australian swimmer that she is. And she was swimming, you know, the 400 AM as well. And she, I had actually touched her out in the, in the, in the final of the four by of the 200 freestyle. Anywho, um, the head coach of Australian swimming at the time, Don Talbot, was a really hard coach. And he decided that I should not be in the 4 by 200 freestyle relay. And I basically was really mad at him because I thought, you know, you've taken this medal off me and, and you don't think I can do this. You don't believe in me. You don't think I can do a 400 IM and a 200 free on the same day. So I went into that 400 IM and I was just like, I'm going to show you, Don, you know, take this. And I won and I did my best time by like four or five seconds. Oh man, you see that post-race video. I am like, what? I was going crazy. I was like, I'm number one. (laughs) I was like, which is not, if you know me, that's not really my personality. So that was probably the one where I was like, it all, like, I just had so much adrenaline going into that and no, no pressure at all. Cause it wasn't even my event, you know? Um, and that, that's probably the most fun, just like, yeah, wow. That didn't even hurt. Take that 400 IM. That didn't even hurt. Like that's unheard of. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you yeah. say anything to him afterwards? Nah, he put me in the four by 100 freestyle though. So I did get my relay swim and got my silver out of that. But, um, yeah, he kind of, I think he, he was a bit head between his legs. I have to say for Don for a moment you know what he's like but yeah <laughs> great story i like that yeah 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 is, that was that was good times is it there in, in terms of in, in terms of what you saw from from the olympics in terms of is there is there any moment of joy that you know when you feel a connection to the sport after witnessing what you witnessed this summer at the games 
Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, I think it's it's interesting to watch it as the years go by and like the older I get and then watching it, you know. Um, and I feel really watching it this year, well, you know, seeing these poor kids walk into that opening ceremony with no crowd in the stands brought a tear to my eye. I really felt so sad that they weren't having the full, I do feel bad for these kids that kids and adults that didn't have the full Olympics experience this year, because, you know, it, especially for swimming, it's just such a unique thing, you know? And so this year more than ever, I really felt lucky. I was like, you know what? I had it. I had it all. I had a home Olympic games, you know, you did. No, you didn't. Sorry, don't ignore me. I was thinking of LA was 84, you were 88, you were in Seoul, that's far from home. But um, no, but like I had a home Olympic Games in Sydney. I had, you know, just amazing experiences and and the full, the full experience, you know, and I feel really lucky for that. Well, out of curiosity, just seeing the success that Swimming Australia put together this <sighs> summer. So excited so excited now oh my gosh like that was just because if you look back at you know things that I've written or been written about the Australian swim team was like they always thought we could get eight nine gold medals you know and realistically statistically if you look at the size of Australia like you were talking about Orange County Texas whatever the size of it is it's really unrealistic to think that we're going to get that like you know all the stars must align for that to happen. <laughs> and, you know, they aligned in Emma McKeon and, and Kaylee and like Ariana and like all these amazing, and the guys. And, you know, um, it was, so that was just amazing. It was amazing to watch and just see us like really actually finally do what Australians have always expected us to do. And it was like, wow, like we actually can do it. Look at that. That's amazing. So, Yeah. As, some, as someone with with so much experience, three Olympics under your belt, you work. You know, you're you're a leader in the in the business of swimming. You you've stayed connected to the sport for many many decades now. So, it's a, if if you had any advice as we close out this podcast for an athlete who's at the elite level now, mm. what's your advice to them? Because you spoke your truth mm. in '96. What would you say to someone now? Oh gosh, that's a good question. But just to, to correct you there, I had I had a whole more than a decade where I was not con connected to the world of swimming. I really stepped away and tried to be away from it and then got pulled back into it. And, and I'm glad that I did. I felt like I was fighting it by staying away. Don't don't be shy. Like swimming's what we love. There's probably a place for you in that world. That's a really good question, Mel. I think just to just, you know, once it's all said and done and, and you've retired from swimming and you step back, just appreciate it. Just stop beating yourself up, go to therapy, really work through it and, and get to the place of appreciation for what you did achieve because what you did achieve is probably amazing. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.